0: Welcome to Staffing in Sync, panel conversations with the staffing industry's top thought leaders on today's most pressing and important staffing and business issues. I'm your co-host, Charles Epstein for SyncStream, leaders in ACA, ERC, and Watsi compliance automation for the staffing industry. I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Kosnick, president of the Vices Group and the staffing industry's leading expert. Hey, Tom. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Uh, today, our panel will be discussing the great correction. Will wages return to pre-inflationary levels? Uh, Tom, if you would uh, give our audience some background on what we'll be discussing today.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, uh, two words, wage inflation. We are living in a labor market that none of us will probably ever live through again. And when we think about the uh, what we've experienced over the last 18 to 24 months, Gosh, uh, recruitment, retention, compensation—all these things affect affect us. And I'm really excited to have our panelists here with us today to unpack uh, how the wage inflation is affecting our businesses and the different dynamics in our business. But first, I'd like to thank SyncStream to, for hosting the series and Essential Staff Care. The Largest writer of employee healthcare, insurance, and benefits to the staffing industry.
0: Indeed, indeed. Uh, before we introduce today's panelists, uh, this is just our second uh panel cast. So I want to um uh, I want our listeners to, to know that we'll be holding these on the second Tuesday of every month, focusing on a different topic with a different panel to share real-world uh, experiences, insights, and perspectives related to all aspects of staffing.
1: Hey, let's uh, let me introduce the uh, the panelists now. So, David Salters, managing director of uh, Warren Averett Staffing and Recruiting and Warren Averett HR Solutions. I asked David to join us. He's been a longtime member of the President's Roundtable that we sponsor, and David has uh, offices and doing business in a half a dozen different states uh, on the professional staffing side. Uh, we've got Brian Sieberling, who's a CPA and CFO at the Reserves Network. Reserves Network is doing business in 18 states around the country, and Brian is also a member of the CFO Roundtable and one of the uh, one of the better contributors. I might add, always got great insight on uh, what's happening in the industry. And Rich Frochelle who's senior economist at the Texas State Technical College. Out of Austin, Texas, and I—I uh, I, first off, for an economist, I really enjoy Rich's uh, energy and what he can bring to these kinds of calls. And uh, Rich and myself were—we co- co- were, uh, we were uh, both speaking at the, the Texas State Staffing Conference not too long ago, and uh, so I had the opportunity to see some of the information that uh, Rich has, and uh, really, really excited to have have uh, all three here today.
0: Yes, yes, great. Um, a few words on the ground rules. Uh, during the panel discussion, attendees are welcome to post questions in the chat. Uh, we'll select several to pose to the panelists in the 10-minute Q&A following the panel discussion. Uh, Tom, I know you just wanted to set the stage uh, before we get into the panel.
1: Yeah, just a, a couple of things. And actually, I'm going to ask Rich to really help us set the stage. So uh, most of the people on the call here uh, are viewing our small business, mid, small to mid-sized business owners, uh, labor shortage, inflation, and the impact on wages and hiring. And we've got all kinds of concerns in those areas, depending upon what part of the country that we live in. And uh, so Rich, just uh, just si- size up uh, from what you see uh, in terms of inflation and, and wages and the impact that has on on uh, on wages and hiring.
2: Yeah, uh, great. Uh, Tom, panelists, it's great to see everybody and be a part of this. Uh, I'm a little sheepish this morning because uh, you know economists have projected nine of the last five recessions. And so I'm not sure we have much of a track record going forward here, but I wanna give you some perspective, I think what we see from the labor market side. Um, and, and just in case nobody is, uh, or anybody's uncertain about this, labor shortages are real and they're real across the entire country. But I, I think, uh, it's important to note that there are market differences depending on what industry you're in, what region of the country that you're in, what occupations you're recruiting for, and maybe even what skill sets that you're looking for. Um, we, w- uh, we see in the nation that there's about 1.7, 1.8 uh, job postings per unemployed person. Here in Texas, uh, that same number is 2.3 on un- uh, job postings for every unemployed person, so that that uh, labor ratio is uh, is different depending on on where you are and what you're looking at. Um, I think it's also interesting to provide some. Tom, we start talking about historical perspectives is to think back to February of 2020 and and where we were and what the country looked like. I don't know about everybody else, but in, in Texas, the unemployment rate was around 3.5 percent, and we had very significant uh, labor general labor and skill shortages. So in many ways, what we're doing with this. Uh, I call it a, a, a hurricane recession, you know, because structurally there was nothing really wrong with the economy. We just sort of blew everything up and now we're rebuilding and' or opening it back up. Um, some of the same shortages that we experienced before the pandemic, we are clearly seeing now. Uh, I know a lot of those you'll see in the IT professions and technical healthcare professions, in the logistics uh, and, and related manufacturing technicians. Uh, I know here in Texas, all of those areas are in significant short supply but a lot of the these issues are skill mismatches we had significant skill matches before the recession and a lot of that just simply hasn't uh, gone away uh, and interesting tom if you if you don't mind i'd like to uh, to note that skill shortages and addressing skill shortages from the education side is something that we care very deeply about here in texas a uh, texas state technical college is the is actually the only college in the country who is getting paid based on the outcomes of our students. So we care very much about what happens to our students in the labor market and making sure that what we're teaching is the kind of skills that are in demand and allow our students to to go forward and get good jobs related to that. And so that's a whole nother issue. I'd love to talk about it some other time. Um, I think, let me go back to the labor shortage issue. We start talking about labor shortages. um, uh, They persisted for a lot of different reasons, lots of different reasons. But I think the underlying basis for all of us, uh, for all of this is the general country's demographics is we have, uh, we have a significantly slowing labor force growth across the country and we have declining labor force participation rates. So there's a lot of things that we think that we can do and deal with in terms to improve people's participation in labor force, attract them back into the labor force, but truly the demographics, slower labor force growth in general and declining labor force participation rates, especially actually, for non-college degree men uh, are, are in significant decline, what we've seen mm-hmm. over the last 10 or 15 years uh, specific, specifically. Uh, as relates to wages, I, I think uh, I don't think there's any doubt that we've seen significant wage increases. Mm-hmm. The uh, year-over-year, uh, the official year-over-year wage, uh, wage increases for the US has been in the 6.2, 6.3% range. Although I think we all know that there are certain segments of the country and of the economy that experience much higher wage increases than that, especially on the lower end of the wage uh, spectrum. Um, So the average sort of mass, a lot of things, you know, economists like to say that you can drown in an average six inches of water, and uh, I think in some cases wage increases are just like that. Uh, The truth is that uh, that inflation now bringing into all of this. Has really eroded those uh, those wage gains, purchasing power, and I think that's right. That's sort of at the heart of whether we'll continue to see wage gains going forward. Uh, millennials, which are becoming a huge part of the labor force, are actually sort of known as the job hopping uh, job job, <laughs> job hopping generation. They view the ability to actually get wage gains based on their uh, ability to move from from organization to organization, and so. Uh, what we see, what inflation is doing as it erodes purchasing power. It's causing people to say, where do I, re- how do I recover my purchasing power? And in many cases, that means moving jobs. And as the quit rate rises, we also see quits as probably one of our primary indicators of mm-hmm. persistent wage in, uh, wage inflation, people moving from one job to a higher paying job. So I think all that kind of comes in. And, and then I think the last, uh, the last thing that we set the context here is that just Last month, did the U.S. economy recover to pre pandemic levels of the labor force and employment? And yet, uh, job postings data show that we've had an increase of roughly 60% from pre pandemic levels. So, you, you're really forcing a lot of demand into a pared down um, labor pool. And, I, and that's driving labor shortages and also causing a lot of wage inflation
1: for us. Uh,
0: that you was
1: mentioned. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, d- uh, d- uh, d- uh, Rich, you mentioned a lot of dynamics, a lot of statistics, inflation, and and participation rates, and labor in the market, and all all technically that bodes extremely well for people that own that are in the staffing business and own staffing businesses. And I know from my own experience of consulting with staffing firms that uh, gosh, th- these guys are the 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 men and women that own staffing businesses. Those are the most of them are growing their businesses and they're making really good money, but. They're not real happy because of all of these pressures that you're talking about, whether those are with temporaries or whether that's with internal internal uh, uh, employees. But uh, great, great uh, segue, Charles. Why don't why don't we kick into and and, and start talking about uh, how the uh, temporaries uh, and associates, uh, some of the questions there then.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yes. Picking up uh, uh, from that, uh, over the past two years, we've seen uh, the wages of both temporary associates making 12 to $15 an hour to professional contractors making $50 an hour increase somewhere between 30%, excuse me, 33% to 50% on average. Some areas of the country uh, have seen 100% wage increases. So great work if you can get it. Uh, Will these wages hold? Will they decrease? What is your company planning for,
3: David? Well, we we certainly haven't seen any indications of holding or or decreasing. So we're preparing for those uh, wages to continue to increase into 2023. I think the last most recent uh, jobs report that just came out last month for July uh, reflected another 5.2% increase, and it's been several months rolling. And based on the behaviors that we're seeing on the front lines uh, with candidate behavior, how they're responding, how our clients are responding, uh, I would predict that's going to remain strong for some time. Uh, back to Rich's co- uh, comments, it's supply and demand, and until some of this uh, resolves itself, I, I-, I see uh, wages continuing to to
1: increase. Hey, that that 5%, was that 5% month over month or 5% July of 23, <laughs> uh, 22 over 21?
3: Yeah, it's to over over July of 2021, but I think it's been every month this year has has been five percent plus. So this thing just continues to snowball.
0: Yeah, uh, Brian, thoughts?
4: Yeah, uh, I can uh, I agree with David. I think it's uh, it's going to continue uh, to rise. Uh, we we've seen it uh, in our in our mix of business. We we're uh, very geographically dispersed, so we do business in the Midwest, South, Southeast. Texas and multiple states and multiple markets, and uh, to to rich it, it changes, it, it varies by those markets. You know, we still have, you know, some 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 areas in the South that are still you know trying to pay ten to twelve dollars an hour, and we just you can't find people for that. Uh, so you got to you know to be in the game, you got to be in fourteen to seventeen dollar an hour range to to, to to be able to find people, uh, you know, to work in these different manufacturing companies and stuff in in, in the South. Uh, so it is very geographically dispersed, and I I see it just uh, continuing because we're always having conversations. We still have a lot of our companies that just still haven't gotten there, and they're or they're getting there really slowly. You know, they've gone from ten to twelve. Now we got to bump up a little bit more. We're always having those discussions with them and doing a wage analysis with them, saying, hey. Here's what all the other employers in the area are paying. We want you want us to find people. You got to be paying you know fifteen to seventeen dollars an hour, or if you're going to pay a little less, you got offer incentives, whether it's an attendance bonus or something like that to get them up equivalently up to that fifteen to seventeen dollars an hour range.
1: Right. right.
2: Let me just uh, let me just piggyback on that. You know, I do a lot of uh, work with chambers of commerce and the like, and I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and said, "Well, when can we just get back to normal?" And, and when they say get back to normal, they really are talking about, I just wanna hire the same people I had before and I wanna pay them the same wage before and I, and I have to sort of give them the bad news that, that that normal that they once remembered is now gone and there is a new normal going forward. And it includes all the things that uh, that you and, and uh, David just talked about.
0: Yeah. Um. Let me ask you, um, how is your company responding to these wage increases for temporary associates and professional uh, contractors? Uh, And if you would, give us some specifics, Uh, Brian.
4: Yeah, certainly. I kind of touched a little bit upon it when uh, the question I just answered with uh, wage analysis. Uh, When we we go into, uh, you know, to work with a a company, a customer of ours, and and they're paying low wages, we know it's gonna be hard fill. So, you know, in order to work with them, Uh, This market also gave us the opportunity to kind of more select employers of choice, as we call them, you know, who really be a little more selective of who our customers are. So we'll go in there and say, hey, you know, for this role, you're paying, you know, you're paying $11 an hour. If you really want the talent to fill these roles, we got to be up in the. $14, $15 $14, $15 an hour range at least to be able to help you fill these orders. And we'll come in with, you know, it's about a 15-page analysis that we work with uh, that gives you a different market analysis, you know, based on the position you need to fill, what the average pay rate is per hour, uh, and it gives you the competitive, you know, your, your surrounding employers or competitors for these, for this uh labor talent. Uh, you know, and and usually the one of the big ones is Amazon in all the different areas. Now they they laid some people off, but you know they're paying seventeen plus dollars an hour. You got to always compete with that, so you got to come somewhere in the middle in order to get the talent to, to, to come work for you. And uh, we've been really successful in getting a lot of our pay rates up for our people. I know internally, our I mean our our average pay rates through our you know this is a blended through our geography uh, pre pandemic where it was around you know fourteen fifty or so, and now we're at like sixteen seventy uh on average so we've gone up an easy couple bucks you know just in pay rates over the last i would say since you know march april 2020 the current so uh and i don't i don't see it uh, i still see it going back but we're uh, i mean that's that's what that's what we're doing we're just educating our our customers that it's, it's here to stay it's not a blimp it's not going away this is what it is now is that your
1: sales rep your sales force that's doing the educating
4: uh yeah yeah and, and we bring in our communication we have a communications team too that helps put the presentations together they'll go back and do the work with a lot of different job boards like indeed and everything else that we work with yeah. we, we have a, a tool that develops these uh wage analysis for us and we'll go back if, with a team or one of our vps and just explain it to them like hey this, this is the market we're in you know and, and this is this is where we need to be to really help you out if not we we understand that and appreciate that You I mean, know, we're not the right right not the right source for you
0: yeah uh, david how's uh handling this
3: uh very much in the same way uh when a client uh is not ready to come to terms with what the market is that really becomes an unsolvable problem for us and so much of our work is contingent upon us getting a you know a butt in a seat Uh, we're just having to have those frank conversations with our clients and let them know it is not like it used to be and just because they feel that it should be the way it used to be, or their cost structure is X, I can't make that work in this market for them. And so we educate them and really let them select themselves out of our client base, uh, because I, we just can't um, you know, use those resources for a, a potential client who, who just doesn't come to terms with what the reality is. So a lot of education, uh, we, we would rather supply a sample candidate at market rate, and then maybe someone who's not at market and let the client make the decision. Uh, we, but we simply just cannot uh, waste time and, and resources on, on clients who aren't there yet. So education, showing examples on the search side of our business, uh, we've, we've moved to more uh, retained searches in this area. Again, just to the value of our time and our internal staff's time. And if, if a client insists on us working on a problem that seems to be unsolvable, We're going to ask them to put some skin in the game and and basically fund that search because I can't make that happen uh, just in a contingent basis if if they're not ready to come to terms with those things. So and the response has really been positive. We've had more clients uh, in this season the, the past two years ask us for rate information. In lieu of demanding a rate to us, uh, so previously it was well we'll pay this or you know we'll accept a bill rate of that. Uh, more clients are asking what would it cost me. I we we have that question more often than ever. What would it cost me? And uh, and sharing information that way.
2: Uh, yeah. Charles, can I a, give a quick anecdote? Uh, here in Central Texas, I uh, did some work with the Texas Central Texas Hospital Association, and they were having some serious staffing challenges. And they 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 had done some investigation and they got down to the bottom line, which was there was a Bucky's travel center that was relocated in the vicinity, and Bucky's started paying fifteen or sixteen dollars an hour for all of their front level staff. And you wouldn't think that that would be a challenge to a hospital, except when you look at a hospital staffing and you see how many people uh, could either work at Bucky's or work at the a at Central Texas hospital and make eleven or twelve dollars an hour you know that the competition, now they were moving to buckys And so now the hospital association was going to have to ratchet up their wage to attract workers that not necessarily had any formal skills, but that had the best employability skills. We know them as soft skills or human skills, but looking for people that, that they could train that would show up on time. Our hospitals were competing with a travel center. And so that, that segment or strata of workers that's in short supply now is being wage competitive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we we always think about like Amazon coming in and and, and raising the raising the level of the, of the sea with weight wages, but uh it, it's amazing how uh, there you there you are, Austin, Texas, 160 people moving to Austin and you know one one competitor, uh, one uh, other business comes in and throws things out of whack for uh for for another business. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's move
0: to internal employees, sales reps and recruiters. Um, Brian, how is the Reserves Network handling this?
4: Yeah, I think um, we've done a little bit with this, Uh, probably not not a whole lot. Recruiters is where we've really seen uh, the the pinch, uh, competing with, you know, larger companies with internal recruiters. Uh, a lot of the companies we work with, you know, the remote option doesn't work as well as with with some others because we're you know doing manufacturing predominantly mid market manufacturing. Uh, we, we have some some challenges with that, but we put some plate put some things in place. We have a pretty uh, what we feel is very competitive you know uh, commission profit sharing structure that's that's really based off the gross profit which drives everything so by having by having the right metrics in place and driving that growth and driving that gross profit growth and, and rewarding all of them based upon that uh that's kind of helped us with that. We, we have adjusted some bases here and there in certain markets where it, you know, it got a little harder to retain some of those key employees, but our internal uh, turnover has been relatively high the last probably year and a half compared to historical numbers too as well, because we're feeling the pressure just as much as everyone else and all our customers mm. are with retaining staff mm. as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, David, how's uh, average, um dealing with these uh, wage increases for internal employees?
3: We've decided to take a pretty aggressive approach, so we increased uh, our base salaries uh, somewhere between 10 and 12 percent this year, uh, just to stave off uh, the floor of corporate recruiting. Our commission structure has remained relatively the same, but we've made the investment in the base salaries with, uh, you know, the idea that we are really ratcheting up that client and job selection that we mentioned before. And uh, our actually our commissions are up. Um, our operating uh, revenue uh, is up uh, through through this. We also are um, uh, very adamant about allowing our recruiters to work from home, and uh, we felt that that's helped us stave off some of the external pressures uh, for, for the internal recruiters. And some people often ask, well, how do how do you police the productivity uh, with all the all the recruiters working from home? And we you know we have a lot of um, kind of younger mothers who who work for us. And we've taken the approach that, you know, you need to take care of whatever you need to take care of at home with your children and your family, as long as your work is done, we're going to give you that freedom. And a lot of those recruiters have held so tightly to that right that the production has self policed. Uh, they've really worked really hard the past couple of years. It's helped our retention has been really strong. So we've been aggressive with the base salaries, given them a lot of freedom uh, when to work. And that's really paid off for us in retention.
1: Hey D- David, what is your what is your uh, remote work policy? How many how many is it? Hundred percent remote work?
3: It's for the most part. We only require them to come in if we have specific trainings or events, and so it's it's probably ninety to ninety five percent remote work for us. Wow.
1: And and Brian, have you adopted a remote work policy?
4: Uh, we don't have a, a company-wide one, but we have a lot of different people that are in various roles that will be. So we have some that are just fully remote. We have some that will, you know, be in the off, office and then be out like you know two or three days a week or one day a week. So we're we're extremely flexible with that. We're adapting as the roles and everything else adapt. So that also plays out with the market. You know, you know, depending upon the markets and who their key customers are and stuff. That's how we're able to determine those things
1: it's uh some some one of my clients said uh, hey if you want to triple the number of responses to a job ad just put the w- word remote uh, in the in the job ad.
2: so Tom I think I think what we're clearly going to see going forward is not so much the work at home model per se because there's so such a big chunk of the economy that really cannot work at yeah. home or work yeah. remotely but uh opening this pandora's box has opened up I think Brian said it uh, expecting employers to be much more flexible in their work arrangements, yeah. working around schedules and uh, and trying to accommodate wherever possible some of that work-life balance. And so I think flexibility in scheduling is gonna be the sort of the, the watchword going forward in terms of attracting talent.
1: Uh, it's like the number one, you, you look at these uh, HR surveys, it's the number one thing that, uh, and, and it's not just a, a millennial, it's sure. uh, it, it, baby boomers and, and uh, Gen Xers and all, they all want they all want flexibility in their in their work week.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, we are calling this podcast or this uh, panel cast the Great Correction. Well, we've all heard the term um, the Great um, Resignation, and uh, you're right that is number one on uh, many lists. And yes, it goes beyond just the uh, millennials. The idea of flexibility. Um, assuming inflation remains relatively high going into next year, which is probably a safe assumption and Rich, feel free to weigh in on that. Um, how are you planning for 2023, uh, David?
3: Our plan is to to hold strong on our path with client selection and job selection. Again, back to the, the point that you know we, we can't solve unsolvable problems. So we're going to continue to educate our, our clients and, and and really choose to do business with the individuals who uh, who understand the market that we are in and let those clients deselect uh, who who can't get along. So we're we're going to plan again for um, another increase in the base salaries for uh, for our internal recruiting and, and business development teams for for 2023. And then we're going uh, to, again, look at potential price increases, something we really haven't mentioned yet, but we, you know, we've done some um, some significant price increases this past year, uh, which have been uh, met with very little resistance, by the way. I think our clients understand uh, the task they're asking us to do. So, uh, you know, increasing the top line revenue through, uh, through price increases and understanding that our operating costs are, are going to increase again next year.
0: Yeah, we're going to pick up on that in, in the uh, next question i'm going to put to you guys um uh brian 2023
1: yeah
4: uh i mean david pretty much hit most of the, the points i want to make on the head as far as you know going into that uh 2023 you know we're just keeping kind of the same tune you know we're we're, we're selecting the right customers uh we're, we're we've uh, looked at and retooled some of our pricing structures our negotiation tools with customers and make sure we're we're getting getting more, you know, and uh, training our salespeople not to undersell our value right now because we have, you know, the market dictates that and and the cost structures dictate that, and going through and looking, you know, at, at all at all our relationships, you know, going forward and looking at uh, price strategies uh, as far as increases and stuff like that. Uh, we've done one uh, earlier, earlier this year, uh, as far as all our customers. That wasn't flat all the way across the whole customer base that we sent out mass letter. We're very we were selective in that where it would allow us, where we thought we were undervalued. uh Going back to the customer, just talking to them about everything, and 95% of the time, it's like, yeah, we we understand it, we get it. There's not no fight back. Yeah. uh Then you'll get one or two that will that will you know fight back, and we just come somewhere in between and agree on something. Um, and whether it's you know a percentage increase or we change conversion hours or you know certain fee structures or what have you uh we compromise in, in, in other ways if, as needed but uh yeah it's 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 going to be interesting to see how I think 2023 uh rolls out here with the way things are pacing
2: I think it's interesting to note uh Charles that when we start talking about inflation we've been most people talk about it in terms of the the consumer price index which is you know between eight and nine percent level. But when you look at the producer price index, what, you know, what corporate America is actually having to pay uh, from a cost standpoint, it's more, it's closer to the 11% range. So if we can get the producer price index, uh, you know, number down in the six or 7%, we've made a lot of progress through the end of this year, which means that's a lot of pricing that's gonna be passed on by various businesses and especially and including uh, those that specialize in, in the cost of labor and providing labor as their service.
0: Yeah. Uh, notwithstanding that economists have predicted nine of the last five recessions, we'll take you at your word, Rich. <laughs> um, anything to add to that, Tom?
1: No, no, good, good, good stuff. Good stuff. Just taking a, taking a few notes here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, next question, um, and it's a big question that's affecting the entire industry. Uh, margins are relatively flat. Operating expenses continue to increase, uh, resulting in net income decreases. One lever we have is to improve operational efficiencies. That is increasing the growth, gross profit production per internal production resource. How are you achieving operational efficiencies? Uh, Brian, David, you, you can decide between the two of you uh, who's going to have it that first.
4: I, I'll, go, I'll go first. Um, technology has been a big one for us. Uh, the last couple of years, we've really invested heavily in technology. So automating a lot of those manual tasks for recruiters and, and having them really spend more time talking to the candidates and getting them on assignments and stuff like that. You know, we we've uh deployed our own app. So we got our own app, which I think is gonna be pretty critical because I forget what the stats are, I read them all the time, but you know, I think it's like in the 80s, 80 eighty-some percent of you know job seekers are using their mobile device to apply and get jobs and stuff like that. So uh, it's critical to be in that in that space and, you know, we've been working on that technology for a couple of years and finally launched it late last year and and uh, we're, we're trying to also get our recruiters used to it right so it's good to launch the technology, but you got to get them trained to start using a technology and kind of breaking habits they've been doing for, you know, many of years. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be a really a real key thing and then kind of like what we did. Um, during when the pandemic started, you know, back in 2020, you just, you just do a quick overall evaluation of your operations, right? Uh, are you, you know, you got too much, you know, too much middle management, too much management, what, uh, or, you know, what branches are, you know, are, are good and what market are they performing, not performing? Uh, make sure if they're not performing, make sure you got plans that you think you can turn around. If not, the you exit that market? Uh, just looking at those, you know, operational efficiencies as as you go into something, you know, like possible, like a recession like this. I mean, I mean, by all technicality, we're in one with the two native GPs, but uh, no one's yet to admit it. But I think I think we are there. But we uh, can kind of see how you know how deep it goes. You know, if it just kind of just work, works its way out over the next six months or eight months or nine months, what have you. Uh, but yeah, and, and uh, we've been doing the price increases to help offset some of that. You know, uh, with increased gross profit, you know, you know we're going to get some uh push back on our vendors and we're gonna have you know increases you know so uh as long as we can balance that and 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 keep our uh and keep our operational uh uh our operations operations efficient i guess uh looking for the word there uh i i think we'll be successful we we've, we've done that i mean we've been doing this for 38 years now so i think we've gotten mm-hmm. a pretty good uh tracker record among all the uh, ups and downs that staffing's gone through in the last 30 some years. Yes.
3: David. I, I agree with Brian. We're we're uh not only using uh technology to our advantage to, to try to eliminate as many manual processes as we can, but uh continue to evaluate those. Uh you know, every time a renewal comes up for a, a software, you know, we're we're gauging our team to see, hey, is this providing value for us? And then and then trying to negotiate with those vendors because they're doing like everyone else and passing along uh, you know large price increases. So making sure you fight back on those and make sure that you're getting the best value for your your firm um, on, on through, through those vendors but anything from onboarding to reference checking, anything that we can do to automate, we, we're certainly doing that. We mentioned the price increases, but you know it's not just uh, the prices uh, Brian mentioned terms and conditions for example, Uh, you know, I think we're averaging about 4 million quits per year um, per month right now in the, in the U S. So why would we continue to have a guarantee period on a perm placement that reflects historical quit rates? We quit more now. So we've shortened our guarantee to 60 days It used to be 90 days. And we share with our clients, look, people quit more often. We had to respond to the market. We didn't make that up. The market is what it is. And so, you know, tighten up some leakage on agreements. You know, making sure, you know, we've added new language, um, you know, stronger language in our agreements on refills. uh, That if that on a a perm placement, if a client doesn't get that bill paid, um, it's there, they've they have forfeited a, a, a refill. You know, traditionally, you would see sometimes a client would wait and say, Hey, we'll just see if uh, they work out before we pay the bill. If it doesn't work out, you know it's all good. No, we're, we need to make sure that we get paid for the work that we that we've done. So, tightening up some of the leakage on your revenue stream uh, through these periods has been helpful for us. And again, our, if you speak and educate to your uh, speak to and educate your clients, they tend to understand and go along with those things uh, when, when you share that with them. So, price increases and then uh, technology and tightening up leakage on uh, revenue streams.
1: Hey, I I a couple of side questions here. Just that one. So Brian, the, the app, your your technology platform, is it the uh, Aviante, correct?
4: Yeah, we have we have Aviante as our base technology. Our reserve job app is basically working. It's the customized working version. Mm-hmm. We use different sense technology to automate the candidate engagement process, uh, which are which you know. It's it's all great, and we're, we've been we've been working with that. One of the, the tough things, like David kind of mentioned, is doing the ROI on their technology because there's not yes. you know it's, it's a lot of soft things floating around. You know, you got to figure out what the right measurement tool is. Uh, that's what we're kind of working through. We're going through our whole tech stack, looking at what technology we're using, are we getting a return on it? Is there stuff that we bought that's sitting on the shelf that we we don't need anymore? Um, we're we're actively actually going through that process right
1: now with our tech stack the uh the uh that whole work in business model it's different than the traditional billable hour model i mean the idea is, is that you're building a marketplace of candidates that you're going to try to retain I and mean, what's the the industry average turnover rate for light industrial is 400 and something percent uh so every every 3 months you're you're turning over those recruits uh and so the whole idea is hey we want to retain these these temporaries for uh 18 months or two years or three years or whatever let's add some training in there uh are you sh- is the reserves network shifting to uh that kind of a business model to drive efficiencies and in- yeah we're, we're trying to drive as much as we can through the mobile app because like i kind of mentioned
4: earlier a lot of your job seekers and talent uh they everybody's i shouldn't say everybody just about everybody has a mobile device now yes some people that mobile devices don't even have computers they just have a mobile phone device Mm -hmm. yeah by being right in front of all the talent you know that that's the greatest opportunity right so the the greatest i guess uh it's almost like having the you know the the front page ad, front page front page ad in newspaper right you're right in front of them all the time uh they got the app on their phone they could look at it get notifications uh, yeah that, that that's the platform you know to be able to onboard people from there to be able to say hey we got open jobs that fit your skill set you know look at your open jobs in your area click on it you want to take this shift click here boom you're you are you have already you're signed that shift now cuz you're already in our database and then they could just go there put their time in on the app and then it submits all through that and then we pay them and and, and life goes on and they can just keep going. It's all in that. Yeah, device. I
1: mean, the, the, the ultimate is that you're going to retain that resource for many more months uh, versus versus 13 weeks.
4: Yeah, yeah, you're just keeping that engagement, keeps that engagement and redeployment too. Uh, that's key, that's one of the areas of, I think that yes. we have a weaknesses is redeployment. I mean, we can't afford to lose a talent, it's hard to get it. Once you got it,
1: you gotta have another spot for them to go right away. Yeah, D- David, are you looking at any kind of a, a- on-demand staffing platform for your for the contract side of your business. Yeah,
3: definitely it's a, it's on our uh technology stack questionnaire so we're as we're reviewing to to see if that's a good fit for us for for sure. Yes.
2: Hey, but, the, Tom, can I weigh in on the from the public sector side is that Yes. Uh, yes. You know, my organization at c 4 eo at at, uh, at TSTC we've been dealing with this issue of being able to identify and codify skills for a number of years. In fact, we have a whole entity that we call Skill Engine that's developed a, a, some very sophisticated uh, skill library and skill profiling software that we're bringing into the public sector uh, that allows you to, to ingest text and not just generate keyword kinds of, uh, of uh, descriptions, but do full, uh, skill profiles for any kind of text not most notably uh, resumes and job postings to improve the labor exchange uh, efficiency function so doing skill-based hiring and uh, using using a, a skill library that has full skill statements and allows us to to uh, to better improve the alignment between worker skills and job postings is something we're very uh very much in tune with
1: yeah, it's uh and we'll be rolling
2: out actually uh, we'll be rolling out some tools next year that are going to be in the public uh in the public domain. They'll have uh you know free to no cost and allow you to do some of that skill profiling, you know, online. And so you get small and medium-sized businesses that don't have the ability to purchase, you know, some uh sophisticated software that will be able to use some of these tools to do the exact same uh job match skill profiling process.
1: Oh, it's such a big deal. You, you own a small business, those hires, those next hires, uh, they're so critical to the, to the growth of that organization versus I've got a, a big company like Brian's, I can make a few hiring mistakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, you know,
2: the, the, Our Texas Workforce Commission actually places, you know, from labor exchange functionality, places hundreds of thousands of people every year. And uh, they're always looking for ways to be able to do that more fif- uh, efficiently, looking at the skills of the unemployed and those that are discouraged workers or on the unemployment insurance rolls. And, and better being able to match them with the skill demands for available jobs. Uh, yeah. The better we do that, the less unemployment insurance we have to pay, the cheaper it is for our business community.
1: Yeah, nice, nice. Hey, another another area that a lot of my clients have obtained efficiencies is in the area of offshoring. And historically in the staffing industry, we've, we thought about offshoring on the fulfillment side, the recruiting side, but gosh, I mean, I've got multiple clients in the healthcare uh, s- sector of the industry that are offshoring uh quote unquote cr- the credentialing uh, I've got clients that are offshoring you know back office payroll function uh and so they're they're looking at uh they're looking at uh every every functional area within the, within their business to offshore uh Brian any I I I any area
4: we've we've explored it for recruiting uh for a lot of different opportunities uh doing the offshore recruiting in some other countries but uh we had yet to pull the trigger on that we're still doing all around right now in the states
2: so Tom had a very interesting conversation with a guy who was running an accounting firm and he came up to me after one of my sessions and he says you know rich any job that's a remote work at home job that home could be in Texas, or it could be in Sri Lanka. And so as we start thinking about more and more jobs where it's a work at home arrangement, where home is matters a whole lot less, which means as we start thinking about the possibility of of going back and and recruiting uh, labor supply chains, uh, and and we don't care where that person lives, also means it doesn't have to be in the United States.
1: Well, and it's not just big businesses. I mean, my my little consulting business. I've got three people in the Philippines that are doing work with with us, and one person in Mexico. It's it's absolutely uh, spot on. David, are you are you doing any kind of offshoring? Anything?
3: Well, uh, let me speak from the broader perspective of our parent company, uh, Rich, which is which is also a CPA firm. And uh, you know, the 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 public accounting sector has been hit terribly hard uh, by the talent shortage. And it's just it's just a tough recruit uh, for everyone in public accounting. So we do we do have an office in India, and we and we approach that not for for cost savings, but for retention and relief for our U.S. staff. You can imagine how busy a a, a tax season is for public accountants, mm-hmm. and so that's a big part of our entire talent strategy. So it's not just saving money to offshore, but it's literally creating relief for the people that we do have. Um, and, and and spreading that workload across uh, a, a different location
1: hey the the in and, and the la- the la- the the la- last one Charles the last efficiency question was is the agile uh workout process uh, Brian and David are, are you familiar with uh with the agile workout pr- process where you look where you're taking incremental your ATS for example uh you've where you're taking incremental improvements and then over the course of a year, those uh, improvements add, end up dropping X thousands of dollars to the bottom line. Any anybody on staff there that, that are that's got an eye on creating efficiencies with the tech internal technology that you you're utilizing.
4: Yeah, that, that's that's what that's what I'm actively working on now. We're building with our tech stack, we identify like all the technologies we use. And now it's going back, looking at those contracts, what we're paying, and then looking for key KPIs or things we can measure to determine how effective and efficient that technology is for operations. And you know, based upon that analysis, then it, you know whether or not we continue the te- that technology, we look at a replacement technology, or maybe we just don't need that technology anymore. Yeah, we're going through the exercise right now.
1: So you're you're the agile expert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess you'd call me that. <laughs>
4: All right. Uh,
1: anything else, uh, Tom? Or are we
0: ready no, to just move the, to the Q and A?
1: Things, things that I keep hearing in the industry that are popping up. So
0: yeah, no, uh, excellent. So, all right. Uh, the Q and A. We got a bunch of questions. Um, the first one uh, is actually for you, Rich. Given what we've experienced with inflation over the last eighteen months, what advice would you give to small to medium-sized businesses? That's a pretty big question.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But that's a, you're right, that's a pretty broad question. Yes. Uh, You know, I um, I think somebody, somebody told me uh, a couple of weeks ago that they were now into the Tetris model for staffing, which is trying to cobble together uh, their labor supply based on a wide range of various sources of labor supply. So some of it's key staff uh, in employees. Some of them are contractors, some of them are temporary, some of them are technology and piecing together a um, you know a, a staffing model where they're open to a variety of different sources of talent. And I think going forward, especially for a small business, you have to be willing to be open and build your Tetris model for staffing to be able to make sure that you get the kind of talent that you want. Doesn't you don't have to necessarily own it, but you have to be able to fit it together into your business model. As far as you know, inflation uh, is concerned, I, I think if I had to go out on a on a limb, I think there's probably a sixty or seventy percent chance that inflation will be in the high fives or around six by the end of this year, which is still elevated, obviously by concerns, which means the Fed is going to continue to be concerned about that and will con- will continue to fight inflation with interest rates. Um, so that's going to make borrowing costs a, a little harder for especially those small businesses in those lines of credit. So I, I'm not sure I have a lot of great news for small businesses competing in this environment. I think the last time you saw the National Federation of Independent Businesses surveys uh, talking about their uh, viability going forward, something in the 80 or 90% range said if the recession gets too deep, that they will challenge their, their existence as business entities. So uh, you know, fighting this double-edged sword of, of labor shortages and inflation, it is a challenge going forward. I'm not sure how to how to sugarcoat that.
0: Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, David and uh, Brian, uh, don't feel intimidated by Rich's economics degree or his voluminous library. Uh, <laughs> although David, I'm not sure if that's a virtual library or an actual one, I'll withhold judgment. Uh, <laughs> but uh, guys, feel free to weigh in on that. Inflation, Still tonight, business, yeah, sized business. <laughs>
1: 2023? uh, Well, Brian, gosh, we talk about this in the CFO roundtable all the time. Uh, In terms of planning for 2023, my gosh, you've got to be, right? Uh, Wage inflation, uh, internal salaries, commissions, uh, temporary inflation. What are you planning for what's your management team talking about uh, for 2023? Uh, yeah,
4: it, it's a little, it's a kind of it's a mixed bag of a lot of different things yeah, between the wages, um, you know, for you know for temps, internal staffs. When we look at our our strategic planning, actually next month I mean, around this time we have our annual strategic planning meeting where we bring everybody together and kind of brainstorm. Uh, on these things of what you know we're expecting to see next year, what our goals are, you know where we're going to be, how we're going to, you know, position ourselves for the for you know the potential continued you know recession for the rest of the year and maybe even into 2023. Uh, who knows? But uh, we're we're just doing the normal things. You know we're, we're keep we're. we're We're looking at wages and things as we need to, um, and we're always trying to retain the talent. So whenever we have people that we think, you know, based on markets are low uh, in in certain areas, we're we're looking at adapting to that. Uh, We we do also, you know, we've gone gone back to um, companies. A lot of companies used to do this back in the day, but it's it's kind of gone away a little bit, like total compensation package statements, right? Saying, okay, well, here's what we pay you, right? But here's all the other things you kind of forgot about. Total comp. All all the insurances we pay, all the short-term disability you have. There's a whole lot of other benefits of going to- Educational opportunities. Yes, yes. So so having them understand, you know, it's not just the dollar amount we pay you on the paycheck. There's a lot of other things that we got. And and, and that flexibility, you know, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of things that we put into that now to, to help them educate them and understand all those things. So, I think it's going to be it's going to be a little challenging twenty twenty three, but we're optimistic because we got a lot of different um, moving parts and markets, and it's been pretty it's been pretty good for us over the last couple of years. Even during the pandemic, when a lot of people slid, we we boom uh, in Texas actually where Rich is. That was an extremely hot hot market for us, you know, with a lot of COVID related uh, needs. Uh, and that business that we had down there you know tripled in size during the pandemic and it helped offset some of the other areas where we did like mm-hmm. business and like where you're at Tom in Chicago Illinois they had a lot of shutdowns and stayed shut down for a period of time so uh, I'm, uh, I'm 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 very optimistic about 2023 I think it'll be at least as good as 2022 I'm hoping and if not better um worst case yeah, I, 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 yeah. I'm sorry can't
0: I was just gonna ask David if he shares yeah. Brian's optimism, but.
3: <laughs> I, I do, I certainly do. However, you know, those of us who live through the great recession of the previous decade, sometimes you, you get a little nervous when you hear about recessions and you see the interest rates and you, and you, and you see inflation. And so one of the things I would encourage, uh, back to the question, a small business owner is to uh, watch your data closely know don't wait till you get a you know a financial statement as a historical document it's not it's not it's not a living breathing uh scorecard i think brian and i use probably a similar Mm -hmm. scorecard system to run our businesses so all your key data points you know with new job orders uh starts and ends uh all all that that whatever your key indicators are in, in your business look at those uh all the time and start identifying those trends as early as you can my big concern is if things don't go as well as we think they are next year. Is how do I staff? Because so that's one of our you know our largest costs is the internal staff. And so as I'm carefully weighing how do I staff for next year, uh, we just keep a, a close uh, eye on on what we call our scorecard with all those data points. Don't wait to get the, you know the information that's historical and try to be abreast of this data as it goes. Uh, pay attention to folks like Rich. Um, and, and be aware of what's going on. It's so easy, especially for a small business owner to be so buried in the business. Uh, come up, look look at the data, see what's happening around you and be prepared to be as agile as you can uh, because as you know, sometimes it can be too late before you make a move.
2: Tom, can I, can I emphasize something that Brian said earlier? You used the word employer of choice. When we start looking at uh, why people are quitting jobs, uh, McKinsey just finished a very interesting study and they, they found that that uh, inadequate or lower compensation to be the second reason why people quit jobs. But number one on that list was is a perceived lack of opportunity, upward mobility. I think number three on that list was, uh, was uh, uh, not being able to learn new thing and have new experience. I think number four on that list was making sure that the culture in your organization was something that's attractive, especially to younger generations you know, in this uh, labor market. So when we start talking about both recruiting and retaining uh, workers, pay is an important, but not the only factor. And I think that's especially true with small businesses is that there are other things that you can do to attract and retain your workers. You gotta have a a reasonable compensation uh, strategy, a total reward strategy, but you also gotta focus on, you you have the opportunity to focus on some of these other things where you can build loyalty both to the company and to help uh, invest in individuals. And if they see that you're investing in them, They'll be a little
1: extra loyalty. That's a great point.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's very much the case. I mean, we talked about flexibility being the number one thing that people look for, but they also look for recognition. They look for opportunities. Uh, am I going to be able to advance in this uh, organization? Uh, am I given opportunities to upskill and, and so forth? So, uh, point well taken. Um, another question for Brian and David. We kind of touched on this a little bit um given everything that's been going on with inflation and the great resignation what advice are you you giving the management team uh those that are in the trenches at your company brian
1: yeah
4: i guess I'll, i'll tackle that one um i guess one of the benefits that we have uh i think is we we have a pretty long tenured management team uh which i think speaks to you know the culture and stuff that we we have here most of our uh, senior level management VPs have been with the company for ten plus years, so we've kind of seen a lot of these different things along the way. So, uh, one of the things that we've talked about, you know, we, actually we talked about this morning on our, our level ten meeting, but we constantly talk about, you know, how we got through the pandemic is one of the key words. If you're in staffing, you have to have resilience. Uh, resilience is key to surviving the staffing world. Uh, it's it, it. There's so many ups and downs and back and forth uh, You you gotta you just gotta be able to weather the storm and go through all that and prepare for that. So you know we are prepared for that. You know we're we're just watching. You know where we need to hire, we're gonna hire. If it's one of those nice to haves, we you know we think about it. You know and maybe we hold off on it for a little while to see what. You know what still progresses you know to the end of the year and they maybe be the trigger a little bit later but uh they have a good idea and and uh and are really good at kind of looking at those things and, and and managing that managing the markets and if if we think you know they're going they're going too far in some of the hiring so we, we do we do watch that that's one of the key areas we watch quite a bit is you know the hiring uh the hiring process now and just kind of let that work its work itself out i think we got a good team in place to do that and the customers like we mentioned earlier you know making sure we got the employers of choice to right customers there is bad business you know just don't go after the bad business There, you know not all business is good business as they say so you got to be careful and selective uh this market because you want to make sure they're going to be able to pay you in the future so we've changed over over the last several years because of the pandemic our you know our, our credit structure of how we do credit limits for our customers and, and how how much we monitor that so we have a customer that like goes dormant for more than 90 days guess what we repull the credit because you, you don't know what changes in that period of time mm-hmm. because it changes so yeah. flu- fluently nowadays uh so just keeping the eye on that to make sure we you know we get everything collected uh so just you know little things like that that we watch and monitor along the way and we and like david mentioned earlier is you know with um uh, your metrics. I mean, we look at those things every week. We have the scorecards that come out. We're looking at it, you know, holistically. We're looking at it by branch. We're looking at by market you know, and regions, and all the way granular down to the customers, looking at the customers, you know, if they're in an effective market that we're not liking the results in, and see how those customers are, you know, are performing, you know, on, on, on right. GP. Are they right customers or not?
0: Uh, by the way, we have only four minutes left, so we're officially going to a no huddle offense, uh, David. So, uh, if you have anything to add, by all means, please. Uh,
3: briefly, as as you do think about hiring uh, for, for the managers in, in the trenches, uh, Rich mentioned we've got a, a, a real skill mismatch uh, with with the with the workforce. As you bring people onto your internal team, I encourage you to invite people maybe who have not been in the staffing business. Uh, and, and use the phrase, you know, hire for will and then train for skill. Uh, I'm, I, I'm just so compelled uh, by an article that I read uh, Wall Street Journal about uh, Walmart was offering somewhere around one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year for truck drivers. Right. So obviously, Walmart can't function if they don't get product on the shelf but if you read into the article and even the subtitle said that the company was bringing in employees from the stores in the warehouse so they re they are reskilling individuals who had demonstrated good characteristics so they they were reliable they were dependable they came to work they had good attitudes and those are the qualities i think you need to, to add to your team there's just nothing worse than adding a toxic individual to your team especially if you're a small business mm-hmm. uh it just it creates uh you know the ripple effect and when you're of like mind and have a single focus and a single vision bring people into that that will help you carry that out it's very tempting to go out and hire staffing people who have experience one they typically cost more because of that experience they may have a non-compete you know things can be difficult for you so uh starting fresh and adding people uh, of of like-minded and want to accomplish a goal with you can make this a lot easier okay.
2: you know in a, in a in a general labor shortage kind of environment uh, if you're not investing in your own employees for upskilling opportunities, mm-hmm. I think you're really missing a bet here. And I, and I think that's why the whole notion of upskilling or reskilling, especially the, the folks that are already there, you already uh, you know, know what value they bring to the organization is getting to be a really important part of uh, future staffing.
0: Excellent. Uh, we're close to the uh, top of the hour. So um, I'm gonna wanna uh, thank uh, the panel. Thank you uh, all for taking the time. This was excellent much appreciated. Um and I want to thank everyone for joining us today to discuss the great correction and uh Tom I know that uh, you had some closing remarks.
1: Uh just that we started out with wage inflation and it's not there's no simple answer. We talked about flexible work opportunities to employees, we talked about upskilling, uh offering upskilling uh uh, it, uh, opportunities for employees. We talked about technology, with impl- budgeting for 2023. So it's a, it's a what what we call a complex structured response. And uh, there's no no one silver bullet with this one. Uh, so, but still, unfortunately, we didn't solve anything, but we sure added a lot of uh, light to the uh, to the issue. Maybe some resilience across the board, huh? Amen.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Again, thanks so much, uh, Rich, Brian, uh, David. Much appreciated. This is great. Um, This panel cast will be available later this week for anyone wanting to relive the experience or to share it. Um, I want to close by thanking Essential Staff Care for their sponsorship of this series, Staffing in Sync, conversations with the staffing industry's top thought leaders on today's most pressing and important staffing and business issues produced, of course, by SingStream, providers of ACA, ERC, and WOTC compliance, automation, and expertise for the staffing industry. I'm Charles Epstein for Tom Kosnick. Uh, join us next month for an equally lively panel conversation.